Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Hello and welcome to episode three of GCSE English Revision Pod. I'm here with uh, Mr. Forster. That was him jumping his cue there. How are you, sir? Very good. Fantastic. So as ever, um, we are talking about one area that could come up in your GCSEs today. This is going to be our third Romeo and Juliet podcast. And as always, we are working from the question pack, which you can download in the bio of this podcast. And then you can follow along with the exact question that we are working with. If you've not got that and you've just got a copy of the play, we'll try and be as specific as we can so you can also follow along. But for those of you who have the pack, we are today going to look at question 16. Is that right, sir? Question 16. Okay, tell us about that question. Um, So this is taken from Act 3, Scene 5, and um, the question goes like this. Starting with this exchange, explore how Shakespeare presents family relationships in Romeo and Juliet. Now I'm thinking that's quite, uh, that's a fairly challenging question. Not as difficult as what we looked at last week perhaps, but still a fairly robust question. Yeah, definitely. I think particularly when thinking about this in the whole play, because obviously in Act 3, Scene 5, it seems quite simple. This is Capulet getting very, very angry at his daughter for refusing to marry Paris. Right, he he goes mad at this point in the play, and we see a very different side to him come out, I think. Quite shocking, especially for a modern audience, a particularly shocking part of the play. Would you agree? Definitely, and I think... uh, But in the context of the play as a whole, family relationships are, I think, very important because what we see is a series of dysfunctional family relationships. What do you mean by dysfunctional? They don't work. So look at the meaningless ancient grudge set up in the prologue between the Montagues and Capulets. Individuals die because these two ineffectual men, because their inability to settle their differences. In the prologue it says how Romeo and Juliet, even from birth, um, are doomed to die because of their names. Yeah. They come from the fatal loins of these two foes. And of course, that's, uh, that in itself is a pun, isn't it? What some people don't realise because the pronunciation of English has changed. But of course, back then it would have been pronounced more like, uh, well, why don't you have a go? Sir? Yeah, so in old pronunciation, loins and lines would in fact have been homophones. They would have been pronounced the same. So it would have said the fatal loins, mm. a bit more West Country, nice. like, a bit like you, bit uh, like my your, neck your of roots. The yeah. And therefore the idea of the, the lines of their family trees being faint, fatal implies that it is, of course, their very names that are driving them towards tragedy. So what you're, when you're looking at this question, then you're thinking, okay, what I'm essentially being asked is when I'm being... Uh, when the question's talking to me about family relationships, what they're really asking me is to show how family relationships don't function properly in this play. And your essay, I'm taking from what you've said so far, that your essay would be an exploration of the various ways we see family relationships not operating as they should. Definitely, and how they break down as the play goes on and how they contribute to the ultimate tragedy. Fantastic. In that case, we will jump straight with the extract? Yeah. So for those of you who are following the pack, obviously this is question 16. For those of you who are not, this is the extract where 
when uh, Juliet's just refused to marry Paris. Is that right? Yeah, so she, she initially... Um, so, so this, this extract shows the power imbalance that we see in 14th century Verona, that Juliet, she tries to show some kind of agency. She, she, she says she won't marry Paris. And this mm. is the moment when Capulet's anger begins. He completely changes at this moment in time, doesn't he? And actually, we see a, a very, very aggressive, very new side to Capulet come out at this moment, which, as I said before, is, is quite shocking. So obviously we're going in and we're, of course, looking for that rich language we're looking for that language which is going to give us the most ao2 marks where are you where are you first casting well, your eye there's quite a simple point to start with caplet's first words to his daughter on her disagreement all he can do is repeat the word how. He says, how, 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 chopped logic. And if you think about the rhythm in which Shakespeare writes, blank verse, which mm. is, we discussed last year, last week, sorry. Um, it feels is, like last, it year. Feels like last yeah. year. As we discussed last week, is where there's five beats in a line. And iambic is a rhythm that goes da-dum, 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 like your heartbeat. Uh-huh. But what we see here actually is four spondies. So, I mean, to, to get away from the, the complex language here, mm. he breaks his rhythm of the verse. Yes. How, 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 how? So, uh, sorry, a student writing about it might say that the shock is such that the fact that his daughter's going against him is so shocking to him that the verse breaks down. Right, language falls apart. He's so stunned that even language can't quite do it. Yeah, and the the rhythms break down. We see this also Mm. in his metaphors. He calls her reasoning chopped logic, as if it's irrational or absurd or illogical to go against him. Um, And then, perhaps the most disturbing metaphor is what I want to focus on. He says. But fettle your fine joints against Thursday next to go with Paris to St. Peter's Church, or I will drag thee on a hurdle thither. Brutal imagery. So fettered, um, for, for those that don't know, um, to be fettled is to be tied up. And a hurdle uh, for an audience in the 16th century was in fact a wooden frame on which a traitor was dragged through a city to be executed. Oh my goodness. So she's being compared to a condemned criminal. Marriage for her, according to Capulet, she will follow what he says or she will be like a condemned criminal dragged through the streets Mm. to church. It's it's horrendous, isn't it? This idea that he would punish her so brutally. And for only, I think our students would do well to remember that all she's done is very respectfully and politely said that his version of her marriage is not exactly what she wants for herself. He doesn't know that she's married Romeo. He doesn't know that she's gone off and done something completely against his will. This is the reaction she gets just for even questioning whether his word is the right thing for her. Yeah. I mean, the other metaphor, he he calls her green sickness carrion. Mm. Now, that's interesting because a lot of imagery creeps in at a later point in the play to do with death, doesn't it? And of course, well, perhaps our students don't know exactly what green sickness carrion means. Yeah, so carrion is, of course, rotting meat. So it's it's kind of, carrion is going to be some kind of dead animal and to be green sickness carrying is a diseased dead animal so mm. this has transformed this image of her earlier in the play as this ripe fruit ready to be taken in marriage mm. into this rotting corpse I think a wonderful thing that students can write about that is that this idea that she was the apple but she was ripe so the idea of course is fruit is only ripe for a very short period of time and I think what our students can write about is the idea that for Capulet, that period of the right time was her marrying when he told her to marry. And we can see that by refusing him, she jumps from the apple, the apple of his eye, to this rotten meat. And it's almost like by not acting while she was ripe, she's logically gone to the stage where she's therefore rotten. And it's, it's quite a transactional metaphor, setting up purely in terms of her relation. She's just an object to be given away by, by her father. Yeah. Um, so great contextual points that they can make about the role of women at the time, the expectations of women at the time, the expectations of a father at the time. Um, all right. So 
we've we've had the question we've focused on the extract we've written that nice paragraph where we talk about the shocking nature of capulet's imagery and how it relates to his treatment of his daughter you're then of course casting your mind to the rest of the play and thinking right my second big paragraph where should i be looking yeah, I mean, certainly what I always think is actually that early on in the play, Capulet doesn't seem such a bad father. He seems all right, doesn't he? And in Act 1, Scene 2, he even acknowledges that his daughter is the centre of his world. He says, um, he, when, when Paris comes to ask to marry her, he says that he's, he's reluctant to hand her over. He says she's only 13. He says to wait two more years. He says, tells his other children have died. He says she's a stranger in the world and says, let two, two more summers wither in their pride. Uh, we may think her ripe to be a bride. So just, I mean, if I can read it in slightly at that point, just because I'm conscious that we're not writing a Capula essay, we are writing a family relationship essay. So what kind of topic sentence are you envisaging for the second paragraph? We could say that actually from at the start of the play we actually see what initially seems to be quite a positive family relationship okay so we make it all about the relationship and say that we're presented earlier on with what looks like a very helpful loving family relationship the irony being of course that it is precisely not no given what we've it's all just lip service isn't it it's all just him saying what i think i i read it as capulet saying what he thinks a good father would say it's not coming from the heart it's not coming from a true belief it's what paris imagines a good father would say in that situation but equally there is perhaps a slight counter argument that we could put here that suggests that actually there is perhaps some element of love in this family in the capulet family he says that the earth hath swallowed all my hopes but she she is the hopeful lady of my earth mm. uh, so th- there's the idea that actually uh, she is the personification of his hope in the world. Right. And so in in a way, actually, what we're seeing is that perhaps we're seeing more about 14th century Verona than about Capulet as an individual. Oh, that's interesting. Um, We could argue in contextually that actually Capulet is presented as a loving father. And perhaps for early audiences, his desire for her to have a good marriage wouldn't necessarily be seen in perhaps the same negative light that that we see it today. So would our students therefore be thinking that actually rather than just write a paragraph where they claim that Capulet is completely false and that earlier on in the play we see how families are presented as good, but they don't actually work. Maybe our students could instead say, well, look at the pressure on families, look at the AO3, look at the context, look how it was almost impossible for families to be these positive things. Yeah, and even more than that, we could see um, Paris as an opportunity, as, as what he represents for Capulet, because Paris is neither Montague nor Capulet, he's a cousin to the prince. He represents safety. If his daughter marries Paris, she's out of this feud. She's out of this ancient grudge that's destroying the the two families in Verona. It's a little bit like in Titanic when Rose's mum wants her to marry uh, Billy Zane's character. And of course, she wants to marry Leonardo DiCaprio. And of course, Leonardo DiCaprio plays the Romeo as well. So he's he's played the same role twice. All sorts of links, although perhaps not for the essay. Um, uh, Any use in that one. Okay, so we've gone back to the start of the play. And I think we've made some nice points about how family life is initially presented in a much more positive light. But then I think for the third paragraph, you would then want to move on to, the, I think, what is an even more negative depiction of family life than Paris's, uh, than Capulet's anger at the start. And that is that neither family is in any way able to understand their children. Yeah, and I think there's lots of examples in the play that we can see this. Right from the start, when Montague and Lady Montague are discussing Romeo, Romeo is off stage. They have to ask Benvolio where he is. And Benvolio tells us that he saw Romeo before sunrise to the west of the city. And Mm. that when Romeo saw him, he ran away into the cover of the woods, Mm. as if he's somehow afraid to be a Montague, as if he's fleeing away. We can certainly see his, his act of running away from his family as being you know, symbolic of this desire to not be part of this, this feud. This Which, crush. of course, is where 
you would normally turn for support. The idea that if you were if you were hurting like Romeo was hurting, you would hope that the family presented some kind of loving unit somewhere you could find some safety. But clearly, no. Clearly, he feels driven away. Would you say that Juliet also is? Um, is alienated from her family, isn't understood by her family. Yeah, I mean, certainly, the, look no further than Act 3 and Act 4 when she's weeping and her family thinks she's crying for Tybalt. Mm. Lord Capulet says she weeps immoderately. In Act 3, Scene 5, he calls her a bark. That's a ship. And she's, as if she's crying so much that her, her tears have become like the sea. Mm. The dramatic irony is, of course, he doesn't understand anything that's going on with his daughter. What's interesting as well is she, how she turns that on its head. I really like that bit in the play when she's making those jokes. Well, they're, they're jokes as far as the audience mm. is concerned. When her mum's talking about Romeo and she's saying, oh, you know, your, your, heart, your heart's broken because of that villain Romeo killing your cousin. And Juliet retorts with, you know, oh, I wish I could get my hands on that Romeo. I'd yeah. like to be the one to kill him. Give me the poison you're going to give him and all that kind of stuff. It shows how little they understand her. They don't get hurt. And she's actually able to play with that. Even as a 13-year-old girl, she's able to sort of manipulate that situation for for sort of dark humour, I suppose. But again, it, it, our students could use it to show the massive breakdown of communication yeah. between um, between the family and their children. And likewise, at the end of the play, um, even with Romeo and Juliet's suicide, um, the, the play doesn't end there. That's a, a really interesting structural point we can make. That actually, right. the, the play carries on. And who does it look at? It looks at the families. It looks at the impact on the Montagues, the mm. impact on the Capulets. The families who've lost everything at yeah. this point. I mean, Lady Montague's already died out of grief for Romeo's exile before she even learns of his suicide. Um, Capulet, his daughter, his only daughter, his only, his only child is dead. Mm. Montague, his only son, is dead. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for Capulet, even his nephew Tybalt has died. This, is, this represents the end of the two family lines. Yeah. So in a time when, of course, family is, of course, central, mm. what Shakespeare is presenting in Romeo and Juliet's death is not just the tragic death of lovers, but the end of two family lines. That's a brilliant point for the conclusion, isn't it, that students can bring in that in a way. I mean, how has Shakespeare presented family? Well, Shakespeare has presented family as doomed in the same way that love was doomed. Because they, of the violence. The violence, the hatred brings not only Romeo and Juliet into an end, but also the families as well. I think about the awkwardness of that ending. What, what do they do instead? They build a statue of Roman Juliet in gold. Mm, as if that easy. will somehow atone. Yeah. And, and, you know, as if their money will somehow atone for the, the dysfunctional family relationships we've seen throughout. Yes, as if you chuck enough money at a problem and it'll, it'll go away, I yeah. suppose, is the thing. But then it's far too late for them. So if, before we move on to Stretch and Challenge, I would just want to sum up then what I think the essay would look like. So we're starting off, obviously we write a brief introduction where we address the question... We're then writing a paragraph where we talk about how family seems completely dysfunctional in Capulet's treatment of his daughters, how family is um, quite... He approaches it quite selfishly and sort of shows that family only means as much as obedience and doing what he's told. You're then moving on to paragraph two and you're talking about how actually it didn't always seem this way. There was a time in the play where family was presented in a much more positive light they could look at contextual reasons for that but they could explore family in a more positive way and then finally three you're going towards the end of the well there's a few different points they can talk about in the play but say ultimately what Shakespeare shows us is that neither family was able to understand their child and that's perhaps why they uh, they paid the price definitely I think that's a nice structure I think that would definitely work so if we move on to our final section of the podcast which is our stretch and challenge section this is where we really think about those of you targeting sevens, eights and nines, the kind of analysis that's going to push you right up into that top band. So with your, with your most intellectual hat on, so where, are you, where are you looking? 
I think the most interesting point here is maybe to look at the nurse and the friar as counterpoints, as foils or balances to um, to the Montagues and Capulets. Why do they call those characters foils? So as a, as a, as a balance, as someone who, who balances out. So, so what, whereas we see Capulet and Montague as these dysfunctional figures, the nurse and the friar, they know mm. Juliet and they know Romeo. And they, of course, make the possibility of them coming together for a marriage. Yes. And are there any particular um, points in language that you think are interesting yeah, I mean, showing I think, that? I think the first one is, of course, that even from the first time we see the nurse on stage, there's a contrast between how Juliet speaks with her and how she speaks with um, her mother. There's that quite funny bit, isn't there, where the mum tries to send out the nurse to have a moment. She says, nurse, come back yeah, again. Exactly. No, goodness, don't leave me on my <laughs> yeah. own with that. I feel like that with students sometimes. No, me, me too. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, and we can also see in the pronouns. So pronouns are words you, you, you say instead of saying someone's name. So you, he, she, it. Um, and in the 16th century, um, thou was a very intimate pronoun. What you might say to someone that you love or your family. Mm. You was a more formal pronoun. It's a bit like, I suppose, our students who do MFL might know in, for example, French, there's a more formal pronoun and there's a more informal pronoun. Yeah, so, so we, German, we do, do versus Z. Right. Um, but here, Juliet says you to her mother. She refers to her mother with that pronoun you and calls her madam. Whereas with, with the nurse, she refers to her as thou. Mm. And not only that, but the nurse has these bawdy anecdotes about Juliet. She calls her jewel. There seems to be this prehistory between them that is lacking in the nurse's relationship with her mother. And there's affection there. There's genuine affection and love. But that's really interesting, isn't it? Because... Oh, in fact, we'll come back to that point. Let's talk about the friar first, and then yeah. we'll talk about how these relationships end up. So the friar, likewise, um, you know, he is the one that knows about Rosaline, and then also knows that Romeo moves on to Juliet. He 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 tells Romeo off for he says, "Young men's li- um, love lies not truly in their ha- in their hearts, but in their eyes." Mm. He tells them off for doting, not for loving. He gives them these this warning speech about love being like fire and powder, having this explosive power. Yeah. The friar gives the wisdom that we'd expect Montague to be giving his son. So there's a part of the play. Unfortunately, it's not the whole play, but there's a part of the play where they very much um, take on the role of parents in a really positive sense of the word. They're giving the kind of advice you'd want parents to give, the same mix of caution and affection. You know, they're really coming through for them as parental figures. However, it doesn't stay that way. Yeah. I mean, actually, one thing we could finally say is that in terms of dysfunctional family relationships in the play, even this surrogate family, these family, these, the friar and the nurse who stand in for their own dysfunctional families... Um, betray them in a sense. Yeah. The nurse is unable to protect Juliet from Capulet's wrath, and the friar is there in the tomb in the final scene in Act Five, Scene Three, when Juliet wakes, but he abandons her. It's quite selfish um, because he hears the watch, he hears the soldiers coming, and he runs to save himself. It's all very sad, really, isn't it? So essentially, what Shakespeare's saying about family is that mm. family in this violent and awful world of 14th century Verona is intensely dysfunctional and mm. even even these family figures like the nurse and the friar who step who try to step in mm. even their relationships break down and where does this leave romeo and juliet without the support of family without the support of the friar and the nurse their only option is suicide as juliet so poignantly acknowledges again and again in the play the only power they have without their families is the power to die yeah well on that uplifting note i think we've probably covered uh about what we can on that point. Thank you very much, sir. Um, so, as we have uh, as we say every week, be sure to download the question pack and to follow along to have a go at these questions. 
try and use the essay plan we've set out or rework it, come up with your own ideas. We will be back next week when I think we might have a look at a Jekyll and Hyde question, sir. What do you think? Are you ready to dip into your duplicitous nature? We, I am very ready to engage my darker side. Brilliant. In that case, we will see you next week. Good luck with your studies and we hope to see you on the next edition of GCSE English Revision Pod.